they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, September the 30th, the Feast of St. Jerome. St. Jerome, please pray for us. St. Jerome was a great lover of God's holy word. He studied, he went to Jerusalem to study Hebrew so that he could read the Hebrew um, Old Testament in the original Hebrew. And St. Jerome wrote that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. So we have St. Jerome, please pray for us. So thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And we're going to talk today about a biblical view of spiritual warfare. How does the Bible show us what spiritual warfare is and how to uh, go about it? So we pray the angels join us here. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni Suncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in Excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. Well, of course, in all things, who is our example but Jesus Christ? And Jesus Christ, um, you know, there are many mysteries in his life. His, and his whole life, Christ's whole life is a, is a mystery of salvation. So in, in Vatican II, when it says, um, it's interesting, you know, theologians and scholars like to do funny things with words. But in Vatican II, it says that um, in, in the, the Dei Verbum, the document on the Word of God, which includes the explanation of scriptures and how it came together, because, of course, the Word of God is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, uh, the Son of God, who became man. But on, on the, um, it says that um, what is written in the, the, the church first unhesitatingly reaffirms the historicity of the, four God, the fourfold gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that what is written in the Gospels is what Jesus really did and taught while living among men for the sake of their salvation. Well, scholars and, and theologians like to say, oh, well, see, you see, it says that it's only what he really, only what he did and taught for the sake of their salvation is what he really did and taught. So we have to decide what he was teaching. And, and Well, no, no, actually, no, actually, um, the whole life of Christ is, a, is the mystery of, is a mystery of redemption. He did everything he did for the sake of our salvation. He became man for the sake of our salvation. The second person of the Blessed Trinity became man for the sake of our salvation. So from the very first moment of his conception, his mother's womb, until you know his death and then his continuous, his paschal mystery, his, his death, his burial, his glorification, it's still his humanity that's being glorified after he dies. After when he, when he rises from the dead, he raises his humanity from the dead, and then he glorifies it. And so all of that is done for the sake of our salvation. So there's nothing in the Gospels that wasn't there for the sake of our salvation. So, yes, everything that's in the Gospels that it said Jesus really did and taught, he really did and taught. You know, that, the Vatican II, not me, that's the church. So, um, But his whole life is a mystery of redemption. And it comes through the blood of the cross, primarily, through his Paschal mystery. But this mystery is at work throughout the entire life. So in the incarnation, he became poor to enrich us by his poverty. In his hidden life, his submission of obedience atones for our disobedience. His humility atones for our pride. In his word, he purifies the hearer. You know, the word of God is living and effective. 
it has the power to purify us. In his healings and exorcisms, he takes on our infirmities and he bears our diseases. And so he's bringing all things together in himself. <clears throat> and what is all this concept about spiritual warfare? Well, it has something to do with sin. You see, and by the way, Satan never saw God face to face. Thomas Aquinas, the church, makes this very clear. Satan, the angels before they passed their trial, never saw God face to face. It's only the angels who went to heaven who saw God face to face. Satan had mystical knowledge of God. He did not have the beatific vision. And so did the other angels have mystical knowledge of God. They knew God to be their creator. They knew God to be all good. And then God showed them his plan, you know, Revelation 12, that he would send his son in, in the likeness of men, that his son would become man. And that Satan, rather than being able to imprint his own image on the lower creature, would be imprinting the, the image of Christ. And he was cut to the quick, and he said, I will not serve. And he sinned. <laughs> the beginning of spiritual warfare. It's about sin, isn't it? So we wonder what gets us into trouble? Sin. Sin, sin, and more sin. <laughs> and when we get prideful and rebellious and we say, I'm not going to serve, I'm not going to obey, I'm not going to listen, it gets us into trouble, just like the little two-year-old who exerts their will. And they think they know it all. They think they have the world by the tail and they want to put their hand on the hot stove or they want to turn the water on for themselves and they turn the hot water on and they can burn themselves. How many children have been hurt because they won't listen to their parents? And so many times, you know, children grow up and they're like, well, you were always disciplining me. You didn't like me. It's like, well, I disciplined you so you wouldn't kill yourself, sweetheart. You know, the, the story of the, the, the two girls, this is a true story. They grew up together. And, and the one girl, when she was an adult, she said, mom always liked you best. She always gave you the ice cream after, after meals and she would never give it to me. Well, what the other girl re didn't remember, what the girl who didn't get the ice cream didn't remember is that mama had a rule and the rule was you eat all your food and then you get the ice cream. Well, her sister always ate all her food. So the one who ate her food got the ice cream. It wasn't that mama loved her better. She was obedient. The girl, the girl, the other girl wanted the ice cream. She didn't want to eat and she would refuse to eat. Well, then she didn't get any ice cream. So she couldn't get ice cream. And that's what she didn't remember. She didn't remember how rebellious and willful she was. And how many of us get ourselves into trouble? Did Christ ever rebel against his father? No. Was he ever willful and, and belligerent? No. And by the way, Jesus in the temple at the age of 12 is not a rebellious teenager. You know, teaching is just exerting his manhood. And I'm a man now. And I get to be a man. And I get to make my own rules now. No. Everything he did was for the sake of our salvation. So that too, Mary and Joseph were going to be unique intercessors before God. <laughs> Mary is the mother of God. And St. Joseph was the guardian of the Redeemer, the guardian of God, the guardian of the Son of God, and the mother, guardian of the mother of God, and the witness of her virginity and the virgin birth. He has a tremendous place in salvation history. And so they had to go through trials. And trials they did go through. And this is spiritual warfare. Mary was preserved free of original sin. 
The church doesn't teach us that about St. Joseph. But we do know that John the Baptist was sanctified in his mother's womb because he was the precursor. Well, if the precursor of the Son of God was sanctified in his mother's womb, is it possible? And I'm not saying it is. I'm saying, is it possible? I'm asking the question. This is something the church hasn't fleshed out yet. But the church has stated, Pope Leo XIII has stated, that by his marriage to Mary, Joseph shared in the prerogatives of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It was a true marriage, and therefore he shared in her spiritual goods. So the church hasn't fleshed that all out yet. So we have some work to do in the church. Theologians have work to do to think, to, to bring forth the role of St. Joseph, who he is and what was his position. And how does he help us? And, and what is he called? The terror of demons. Why? Because of his obedience and his humility. His constant and complete dependence on God. And it's the same. Jesus gives us this example. You know, we look at the temptation of our Lord in the desert, right? Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. And this is in the three synoptic gospels, right? Matthew 4. And it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards he was hungry. And the tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He has given his angels charge of you, and they will guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, And again it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. All of these I will give you, he said, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus answered, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. A lot to learn from this passage about spiritual warfare. Number one, he goes out into the wilderness to pray and fast. He's not emptying himself of everything. He's filling himself with the Father's will. And he, of course, is one with the Father. He is the Son. The Father and the, Son, the, Father and the Holy Spirit are there with him the whole time, maintaining the hypostatic union, the union of the humanity and the divinity of Christ. He's one person, a divine person with two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. So the devil comes and he says, okay, you're hungry. Turn these, you know, and, and beware. The devil can twist scriptures. Oh, 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 he can twist them. He knows the scriptures and he can twist them. And so he says, man, you know, make these, these loaves into, into bread and feed yourself. Well, Jesus didn't come to serve himself. So he doesn't do it. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When we fast, we're supposed to be giving up the things of this world in order to fill ourselves with the things of the Lord and to spend more time with his word. So we, we, we need to be meditating on his word. I hear that music. My goodness. So we're talking about spiritual warfare here. We're looking at Jesus Christ as our example. And we're going to look at a few scripture passages here today and some psalms and try and learn a little bit more about how to carry on this warfare against our enemy day in and day out, faithfully, by the grace of God. Don't go away. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, September the 30th, the Feast of St. Jerome. St. Jerome, please pray for us. Great lover of Scripture. He said, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. So we're talking about spiritual warfare, biblical style. Okay? Oftentimes in our modern world, what we like to do is we like to look at the enemy, and we like to look at what he's doing, and we like to look at the evil that he inspires in people. That's not what the Bible shows us. That's not the way to fight spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare has to be fought by God. God has to fight on our side. And he gives us help. And this is what we're looking at, the temptation of Jesus in the desert. He went out to fast for 40 days. He's fasting. He's filling himself with the word of God. He's always full of the word of God. He is the word of God incarnate. But he knows the scripture also. And so the devil comes and the devil twists the scriptures. So the first temptation was to turn the loaves of, you know, the loaves, the, the, the stones into loaves of bread because he was so hungry. So the second temptation, the devil takes him to the holy city and he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourselves down for it is written. And by the way, written in Psalm 91, he will give his angels charge of you on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan again is twisting scripture, twisting it. And Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It's also written in scripture. You shall not tempt the Lord. Now, Jesus is not confessing to the, to the devil that he is God incarnate. He's saying, I'm not going to tempt God by throwing myself down from this. It's presumption. For me to throw myself down from this temple and expect God to save me from dying would be presumption. Not doing it, Satan. I'm not so stupid. Now, he is God. But he, he's not going to play Satan's game. It's like that day somebody made a cartoon, you know, about this, this, uh, Oh, the devil, the devil comes to uh, the, the, the gates of heaven and he says, um, I don't know, he says something about, oh, I, I, I identify as an angel or something like that, an angel of light. And, and uh, the, the, the angel at the door of heaven says, we don't play that game here. <laughs> you are who you are. You rejected God. You're done. You're out. You're not back in. There's no place for you anymore here in heaven. So, so then, then the devil takes him to the mountain and he shows him the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all of these are mine. Beware, everyone. Did you hear it? Satan claims that all the kingdoms of the world are his. Watch out. <laughs> you know, there are some holy kings. There have been holy kings and holy rulers throughout history, men and women who have given their lives totally to Christ and served Christ and, and done what was right. But even in the history of Israel, you had very few holy kings. And even the kings who were holy they had lots of faults and they had their weaknesses. Okay, but the, the point is repentance. Do we repent and return? Okay, and, and, he, and the Satan says, just worship me. And how many people give in to that temptation? Here's where spiritual warfare, this is where your warfare is. Satan is asking you to worship him and not God. And so Jesus says, no, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Be gone, Satan, be gone. And this is where we turn. We turn to the Lord in prayer and ask him to defend us. We have angels. We all have a guarding angel. God has given each one of us a guarding angel to defend us against the devil <laughs> and, and the devils. They remember, the Satan took a third of the, the, the dragon takes a third of the stars from the sky. In the book of Revelation, the stars represent the angels. So apparently a third of the angels fell when Lucifer fell. 
And Lucifer, yeah, he was the light bearer. He was the highest of all the angels. That's why he fell the farthest. That's why he's the ugliest. He is the ugliest of all the demons because he was the highest. And so we, we learn a lot from Jesus' temptation here about spiritual warfare, okay? He, he, first of all, this is he's preparing himself for his mission. He goes out into the desert to fast for 40 days before he begins his public mission. This is right after his baptism. Okay, he's going to begin his public ministry. He goes out to fast for 40 days. Okay. Adam in the garden was told by God not to eat from the fruit of the tree, and he disobeys. Jesus is the new Adam. He's redeeming that act of disobedience by Adam. Israel is taken out of Egypt, out of slavery, and brought out into the desert. They're supposed to go into the Holy Land. They get to the, they get to the promised land, and they spend 40 days reconnoitering the land. And only two of, the, two of the scouts, Joshua and Caleb, say, we can take it because the Lord will fight on our side. And the other 70 say, no. And they discourage the people, and the people whine and cry against Moses. And God says, fine. You reconnoitered the land for 40 days? You will spend 40 years in the wilderness to purify you of this sin. One year for every day. Okay, you wouldn't trust me. You wouldn't obey me. You wouldn't humble yourself before me. You wouldn't fast and do penance. So now you will suffer. They went out into the wilderness for 40 years and they failed. Again, they failed. They didn't stay faithful to God. When Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, what do they do? They go to Aaron and say, make us a God. So Aaron says, bring me your gold. And he makes him a golden calf. And of course, when Moses come down, he said, Aaron, why have you done this? Oh, 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 the people, they, they wanted a God. So, so I, just, I just threw all their gold in the fire and this, and this, uh, this, this ox came out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, excuse me? Who is the father of lies? A murderer and a liar from the beginning? It's not God. God doesn't lie to you. But Satan will use scripture and twist it. And he's a murderer and a liar from the beginning. So all of these temptations, okay, just as, as and so Israel was tested for 40 years and they didn't pass the test. They went, they would fall into idolatry. They would get, you know, when, when the Moabites came against them and, and um, Balaam was supposed to curse Israel, he couldn't do it. So he told the king of Moab, look, you want to, you want to be able to defeat Israel, send your women into the camp. And so the king of Moab did. He sent women into the camp. And the men gave in and commit fornication and adultery. And, you know, right away then, then they're defeated. So spiritual warfare, we have to resist sin. And we have to reduce it, resist it manfully. Remember, the spiritual life is not easy. It will never be easy. Simple, it's straightforward. We have to ask God for the help that we need. He's given us an angel. And we have three archangels, by the way. St. Gabriel, the archangel, prepares us for battle. St. Michael, defend us in battle. And St. Raphael heals us from the wounds of battle. So every day we have to know we're in a spiritual warfare. Um, saints, saints have often written, if you don't know you're in a battle for your soul, you're probably losing it. It's an arduous task. It's constant. There's a constant effort. We're supposed to be living constantly in the presence of God, just as the angels do. Because God is always present to us. And he's given us everything that we need. He's given us himself. And so Jesus redeems, as it were, <laughs> he does redeem the disobedience of Adam 
and he redeems the disobedience of the Israelites for four, who disobeyed for 40 years in the desert and complained against God so many times over and over again. But St. John Chrysostom says that morally what this means, this temptation of Jesus in the desert, it's Jesus's victory sets an example for Christian obedience. Earthly life is a wilderness trial for God's people en route to the land of heaven, to our heavenly homeland. Through this probationary period, God wills the faithful to overcome temptation from the world, the flesh, and the devil. By the way, the world and the flesh, and then the devil. We don't need to worry about the devil. We have, we have our own flesh to deal with. Triumph is possible through penance and obedience to God's word. Triumph is possible through penance and obedience to God's word. Admit that we are sinners, do penance for our sin, and obey the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord. The faithful must desire the food of God's will and the humility of Christ. The battle successfully won merits heaven, comfort in the company of the angels. The church annually reminds us of the lifelong vocation during the 40 days of Lent, our lifelong vocation of penance, to go before God, repent of our sins, and to be constantly in battle with ourselves so that we don't fall into sin. When we sin, we give the enemy power over us. We don't want to sin. So we pray for the grace not to sin. And in, um, I'm taking commentary here from uh, the, the um, <laughs> Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, New Testament. And they have quotes from the fathers of the church on these passages. And so in Mark's gospel, we have a quote from St. John Chrysostom again. And he says, Jesus endured temptation to train the disciples how to overcome the devil. No one should be surprised then that after our baptism, the tempter assails us more aggressively than before. Victory is assured like Jesus if, like Jesus, we commit ourselves to fasting, to wait upon the Lord with patience and have no desire for the things beyond our need. So we don't desire the things of this earth just to have them to possess. We want to be patient and endure. That's one of the problems that Israel had in the Old Testament. They weren't patient. They were complaining. They were crying out against God. And Moses, oh, this is too hard. You're so mean. You, how dare you take us out here to kill us? And no, God didn't take them out there to kill us. God took them out there because he took them out of slavery. And he would have brought them. He would have brought them into the promised land quickly had they obeyed. Had they been patient and listened to him. And so because they weren't, they get to suffer 40 years in the desert. But that 40 years suffering was brought upon them by their own stubbornness and their own willfulness and their own impatience. It's kind of like Abraham. He got impatient. God hadn't given him a son. And Sarah was beyond the age of childbearing and he got impatient. He said, well, you know, your, your, your maidservant Hagar can give me a son. And for a while, Sarah doesn't go along. But after a while, Sarah's like, yeah, you may as well, because you're right. I'm, I'm too old. I can't bear children. No, God had promised Abraham a son through his wife. And that was the son of the promise. Ishmael, the son of the, of the slave servant, was not the son of the promise. And that, that impatience on Abraham's part would cause trouble for a long, long time in the world. <laughs> Still goes on. One big family feud back there in the Middle East, huh? 
That's the same thing here for us. One big family feud. We like to blame the devil for all the troubles in our families. We like to blame the devil when things go wrong, when people start bickering. What about our own pride? What about our own willfulness? What about our own unwillingness to pray with patience and to endure all the sufferings that God has asked us to endure? So we want to look at Jesus. Jesus is the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, right? And he was tempted. We can, we can be assured that he has pity on us, that he, has, that he understands our condition because he was tempted, right? In every way that we are, it says in the book of Hebrews. And I'm doing a real quick search here to try and find the, that passage in the book of Hebrews. Um, it's in Hebrews, Hebrews 2.18 and 4.15. Okay, so we have Hebrews 2.18. And I hear that music, so you're going to have to wait till the other side of the break to find out what Hebrews 2, 15, and 4:18 say. Don't go away. We'll be back. Thank you for all of those who, you su- who support us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Um, tell your family and friends to join us here on this Bible study, Bible with the Barbers, on Friday. It's free. Just uh, if you want to donate, you can, 877-526-2151. Pray for us. Keep us in your prayer. We'll be right back with more. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And um, here we are. We're talking about the spiritual warfare, and we're talking about the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And I said that I would tell you the passages in Hebrew that are um, connected with this. And in Hebrews um, 2, 5, 2.18, what does it say? It says, um, For because he himself has suffered and has been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. So Jesus knows what it means to be tempted, all right? He's the expiation for our sins, it says, and he knows what it means to be tempted. He's our brethren. He's our brother. Our brethren, it says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in every aspect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make expiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered and has been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. And then in 418, it goes further. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning. And here, herein lies the difference and the key. Jesus never gave in to temptation. Yeah, okay, you say, well, well, he was God-man, you know, it was a little easier for him. Well, yeah, it was, but you know what? Because he is God-man, he also gives us the strength to do that. Remember, when we were baptized, you know, you, you, your spiritual warfare didn't begin after your baptism. Your spiritual warfare actually began at the moment of your conception because we're conceived because of original sin. We're conceived without God's grace. God doesn't give us his grace until we're baptized and, and or until we ask for it and are baptized. But we can be baptized as soon as we're born. And when we are baptized, we receive grace from God. We receive, as a matter of fact, the indwelling of God himself. So God dwells in us. He's not expecting us to fight this battle on our own. 
We call on the angels. His angels are servants there to help us. We call on the saints. Here we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that we too will be encouraged to do the right thing and to remain faithful to God in the, in the battle. And then we have God's grace and we have God living within us. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. So we have everything we need to resist temptation. The question is, are we willing to say, yes, I want to. And because of original sin, we read it. When you're baptized, original sin is removed, but the effects are not. And what is the effect? I'm still tempted. I'm still oriented toward evil. I'm oriented away from God in the sense of concupiscence. My flesh wants to go the easy way. It wants to do what's pleasing to itself, whether that's good for it or sinful or not. It doesn't care. So that's why we have an intellect to, to be able to learn about God's will and what is God's will. And of course, God's will is expressed to us in the Ten Commandments, right? Jesus kept the commandments, all of them, perfectly. And he asks us to do the same. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to keep the Ten Commandments. So we call on the Lord. We call on the Lord in the midst of trial. We call on the Lord in our sufferings. We call on the Lord to keep us faithful. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is truly man, but without sin, he never sinned, and he shows us the way. This is, you know, spiritual warfare, right? And in his life, his public life, it's interesting. He does exorcisms and he casts out demons. But sometimes before he healed people, he did what? He forgave them their sins. And when he did heal people from diseases, oftentimes, he would say, go and sin no more. Okay? Go and sin no more. The woman caught in adultery. She's brought before Jesus. They're going to stone her to death. Of course, by the way, in the law, the Old Testament, it said both the man and the woman were supposed to be stoned. So why are they bringing the woman to Jesus to stone her? When they caught her in the very act of adultery, where is the man? Funny thing how the woman always gets left holding the bag. <laughs> God have mercy on us. And it's the way it is, you know, because of original sin. We want to blame everyone else. So men want to point at women and say, well, it's their fault. And women want to point at men and say, it's their fault. And the reality is, is it's mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, through my very own fault that I sinned. And I need to repent of my sins. And that's what <clears throat> showing us. Jesus was humble. He is God. Though he was very God, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. And he was known to be in the likeness of men. Human. And it was thus that he humbled himself obediently, obediently accepting even death on a cross. This is spiritual warfare, is to stand against sin by the grace of God, to say no to sin and to ask God to keep us from sin so that we will always be living in his grace. Okay, always, always, always. So we look to God. How do we do this? Well, you know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, you have lots of examples of it. In the book of Daniel, you have Ananias, Azariah, Mishael, and Daniel, right? They had been carried off to Babylon. They were um, chosen to be 
uh, servants in the king's inner circle of servants. And they refused to worship. Ananias, Azariah, and Mishael refused to worship the statue that this king had set up. And so they're thrown into the furnace, right? And God sends his angel to protect them. And the king sees the angel in the furnace. He says, I threw three men into the furnace. I see a fourth man. And we bound those men, and they're unbound. And there are four men walking in the furnace unhurt. And they're singing the praises of God. And they acknowledge that they deserve to be punished for the sins of their nation. And, and they, they, they identify themselves with the sins of their nation. And Daniel, uh, you know, and Daniel, the, the king passes a law that nobody can pray to anybody but the king. You can never ask, can't ask a petition to anyone but the king for this certain amount of time. By the way, that prayer, that, that was inspired by the enemies of Daniel, who knew that Daniel wouldn't keep it. That he would pray. So then they spy on Daniel and they catch him praying and they bring the king and they say, see, because they knew D- the king liked Daniel, but they want to get rid of him. And so they bring the king to Daniel and he's praying. He's praying to his God and he's not supposed to pray to you. You made the law. You made the law. You have to kill him. You have to kill him. And the king is upset, but he made the law. So he throws him into the lion's den. And again, God sends his angel to close up the mouth of the lions. The hungry lions, by the way, lions who they hadn't fed for a few days so that they'd be nice and hungry. And God closes up their mouth. And they leave him in overnight. And the king comes back in the morning and says, Daniel, has your God been able to protect you? And Daniel says, fear not, O king, I am well. So then the king lets him out and he takes the men who had spied on Daniel and he throws them in the lion's den and they're gone. But what did Daniel do? What did Ananias, and Azariah, and Mishael do? First of all, they were faithful to the Lord in the midst of a pagan country. And then they prayed. We have in the second book of Kings the story of Elisha, right? And Elisha, once when the king of Assyria was warring against Israel, every time he took counsel, God would tell Elisha what he had said. And then Elisha would go tell the king of, of Israel. And then the king of Israel, the, the king of Syria couldn't do it. So he the king of Syria thought he was betrayed, and this is, is all of his inner circles say, no, you're not. There's a prophet. There's a prophet in Israel who's, who's giving advice to the king. Well, go get him. Seize him and, and arrest him. So they found the prophet in Dotham. So the Assyrian army comes to, to capture Elisha, right? And so when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were round about the city, And the servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Fear not, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. The angels. God sent his angels. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. Elisha wasn't afraid. He did God's will. He did what God had commanded him to do. He was faithful. Remember, Elisha is the one who takes Elijah's Elijah's place. And so obedience, humility, fidelity to God, patience, waiting on the Lord for his time and giving up sin giving up sin, giving up sin. I can't emphasize it enough. I remember my mother used to tell us when we were children, remember the devil has no power except what God allows him because of man's sinfulness. So oftentimes when I hear people today talking about spiritual warfare, they're focusing on the evil things that people 
that Satan inspires his servants to do. No, this isn't God's way. This is not God's way. We don't need to know the details of the evil that Satan inspires. And that's, by the way, what the news media is trying to do by focusing on evil. And all the, it's, again, it's, it's, it's like in the Lord of the Rings, by the way, it's just fiction, but it has a very good point, right? In the, the Lord of the Rings, when the steward of Gondor keeps looking into the crystal ball and all he sees is destruction and defeat because, because the, 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 the Lord of, of Mordor has control over what is seen in the, in the crystal ball. And he wants to win. So he's trying to make all of the good people think there's no point in battling anymore. You've been defeated. I've won. I've won the whole thing. And the steward of Gondor gives in to that temptation. And if you remember, I, the movies aren't, weren't 100% uh, you know, accurate to the book, but this is, this is what happened in the book too. He takes his son Faramir and he's going to burn himself and his son on the fire. Faramir's been wounded. He's unconscious. And, and the steward, is, he's going to kill them both. Well, the hobbit is there, and he goes to get Gandalf, and so they save Faramir, but the steward throws himself on the fire. He despairs. Why? Because he keeps looking at the enemy. <laughs> you don't need to look at the enemy. St. Teresa of Avila, in her day, there was a saying. It said, beware of mysticism. It begins in mist and ends in schism. And on the other side of this break, I'm going to tell you what she said about spiritual warfare. Teresa of Avila, a great saint of the Catholic Church. Don't go away. Thank you for listening. Share this with your family and friends. Support us. And especially thank you to those of you who offer your sufferings and your prayers for us. And all of those of you who support us with your financial help. Tell your friends and family to tune in. I'm with the Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And I was talking about Teresa of Avila just before the break. And at the time that she was living, there was a saying that went around, beware of mysticism. It begins in mist and ends in schism. And Teresa of Avila, again, she lived at a time when many, many people were going around saying, oh, the devil, the devil, the devil's here. The devil's there. He's going to get us. He's going to make everybody fall. Because what happened is there were mystics at her time. They weren't getting their mystical experiences from God. And the interesting thing about it is the mystics who weren't getting their mystical experiences from God had great followings. And then people would find out that they were, uh, they were serving the enemy. And then people would say, oh, see, this is what mysticism leads to. No, true mysticism comes from God. But the enemy can falsify. Remember, just like he twists scriptures. And so Teresa Vavilis, you know, people were afraid. And, and Teresa said, people are running around saying, afraid of the devil. I said, all I have to do is say God, and the devil trembles. She, she, you know, if you make the sign of the cross, she found out that the devil would flee. If you sprinkle holy water, he would flee. And the nice thing about the holy water is he had to flee until, until the holy water dried up. So bless salt, holy water. The church, give us sac- church gives us sacramentals to use, okay, as, as, as well as the sacraments, the seven sacraments instituted by Christ. But most especially, we want to keep without sin. And I, I mentioned that there were certain other passages in scripture, and I want to go especially to the Psalms. There are Psalms that are called, there's considered exorcism Psalms, but I want you to listen to them, and at least part, I may not read them in full, I may not have time, but Psalm 91 especially, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who abides in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
Where is our trust? For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you shall find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that strikes in the darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right, but it will not come near you. You, will only to, you have only to look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your habitation, no evil shall befall you. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your habitation, no evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he cleaves to me in love. Because he cleaves to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. A long life, an eternal life in heaven with him. We're not seeking eternity here on this earth. We're seeking to love the Lord our God and to honor his holy name. And then we have Psalms 67 and 69. I believe it's 67 and 69 in the old ordering, um, old numbering of the Psalms. In the, I, I'm using the Ignatius study Bible, Ignatius Bible, and I, it's Psalms 68 and 69. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be joyful. Let them exalt before God. Let them be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praise to his name. Lift up, to, up a song to him who rides upon the clouds. His name is the Lord exalt him. So we have to praise the Lord. Psalm 69 is a save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters and the flood water sweeps me away. I am weary with crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me those who attack me with lies. What did I, what I did not steal, I must restore. O God, thou knowest my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from thee. Let not those who hope in thee be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek thee be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for thy sake that I have borne reproach. And I have become a stranger to my brethren, an alien to my mother's son. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the insults of those who fall, who insult thee fall upon me. When I humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. 
But as for me, my prayer is to thee, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of thy steadfast love, answer me. With thy faithful help, rescue me from sinking into the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up. And so that, that goes on. I'm not going to finish that whole psalm. But, but again, the praises of God and fidelity to him and keeping his commandments and trusting in his mercy and love and knowing that he does send his angels to help. In addition to our own guarding angel, St. Gabriel, the archangel, prepares us for battle. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. And St. Raphael, the archangel, heals us from the wounds of battle. And we need to call on them because we are wounded in battle. We're tempted. What is the battle? Our battle is against sin. We're not fighting against human powers. We're fighting against powers and principalities. You know, the spirits of the underworld, the, the angels who fell. And, and sometimes we get fooled and we make a mistake or we sin. <laughs> Not just a mistake, but we willfully sin. We reject something that God is revealing to us or that, or that you know, is a duty of ours. We have a duty to do. And instead of doing it, we just indulge ourselves and we sin. So we repent. So what, what do we learn from this about spiritual warfare? For one... <laughs> We have to be rooted in God. We received God's life in baptism. We have the sacrament of confession for all the sins that we have committed after baptism. And yes, we can confess venial sins in, in confession. I, Terry and I did a program on a biblical view of confession, biblical worldview of confession in August. You can go back and listen to that program. Um, on, look it up on Bible with the Barbers. And we confess our sins to the Lord. Yes, when we, we, there's a priest there. He's an intermediary. But when he absolves us, he says, I absolve you. And it is Christ himself who is acting in and through the priest to absolve us. Only God can forgive sins. And he does it through the power of Christ. And it's Christ himself. As Bishop Sheen said, when you go to confession, picture the bleeding hand of Jesus Christ from the cross coming off of the cross and allowing his blood to drip down upon you as he makes the sign of the cross over you and says, I absolve you. Holy communion. Jesus Christ is really present in the blessed sacrament, body, blood, soul, and divinity. He gives us grace daily. We can go to Holy communion daily. This day, our daily bread. Yes, our super substantial bread. And it doesn't just mean the bread for our body. The word in Greek means super substantial. It means a, a different type of bread, but it's daily. It's given every day, the Eucharist, to feed our souls. And then we have the sacrament of anointing for when we're sick. We have the sacrament of, of um, the ordination. We have the sacrament of marriage. And we have the sacrament of, oh, I said that, anointing of the sick. So we have baptism, confirmation, penance. Oh, confirmation, I forgot confirmation. <laughs> Sorry. Baptism, confirmation, Holy Communion, penance. We receive penance, the sacrament of, of penance before we receive first holy communion okay so that's why the order sometimes get confused but the three sacraments of initiation are baptism confirmation and first holy communion and then but the sacrament of confession penance is for confessing of sins we have to confess our sins we humble ourselves before the lord acknowledge that we are sinners and ask for his grace and mercy and so we we want to look for we want to be obedient to god and we want to do penance for our sins we want to have that perfect trust we need to be fasting. 
and not just fasting from food. And yes, we have to fast from food. And on Fridays, we're supposed to give up some kind of food. There's just, in, the, in the West, where there's food abundant, we're supposed to give up a specific food on Fridays. As uh, By the way, it's a mandatory penance, and it's still under the pain of mortal sin, the pain of serious sin, by the way, to, to do some form of penance on Fridays. Okay, And these things help to strengthen us against the attacks of the enemy. And, and so we discipline our bodies, as Paul talks about in his letters. We discipline our bodies just as the runners in a race discipline themselves. And they're disciplining themselves just to wear a, you know, a perishable crown or even a, nowadays a gold medal or a silver medal or a bronze medal. It's perishable. It's passing. They can't take it with them. We discipline ourselves in order to gain heaven, to give up the things of this world to gain heaven. Prayer. We need to pray. We need to pray every day. Prayer is a conversation with God who loves us. It's a loving conversation with one who loves us. If we're not praying every day, you know, Jesus said to pray always. Pray always. Pray always. If we're not praying every day, we're sinning at least by being lazy. And we're neglecting God who loves us. When someone bestows gifts upon you, you should thank them. And God bestows on us the gift of life. Every single breath we take, every single beat of our heart, every pulsation of our pulsating systems, and no, I never took anatomy, so I don't know them all, but fearfully, wonderfully made. I am fearfully, wonderfully made, O Lord. Wonderful are your works, Lord God Almighty. And I am one of God's works. Each one of us is one of God's work. And every breath we take is a gift from God. Every beat of our heart is a gift from God. Every pulsation of our pulsating systems is a gift from God. We should be constantly thanking him and praising him. This is why we're supposed to live constantly in the presence of God like the angels do. Just strive to remember that God is always with us and present to us. So spiritual warfare, first of all, it's that warfare against sin so that the enemy doesn't have power over us because our sin gives him power over us. And we don't want that. So remember the Psalms. Remember Jesus and how he fought the spiritual warfare and how he teaches us to fight it. And remember, we look to God. We look to God in the midst of the battle. We do not look to the enemy and what he's doing. We look to God and we ask God for guidance and direction. Ask your angel for help. My God, I believe in you. Increase thou my faith. I hope in you. Increase my hope. I trust you. Strengthen my trust. I love you. Let me love you more and more. Lord, if I am not in the state of grace, put me in the state of grace. And if I'm in the state of grace, keep me there. God bless you. I hope to see you again next week. That'll be first Friday of October on Bible with the Barbers. Please tell your family and friends and share this podcast with them and tell everybody to download the app and listen on the app. I appreciate it. Thanks to all of those of you who support us, the radio stations who pick up our signal, and those of you who pray for us and offer your sacrifices for us. And those of you who ask us for our prayers, we do pray for you. 